Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar in Dublin. Over the past few months, we've been speaking to festival organisers and musicians from across the globe about their experiences during this COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we're delighted to be talking to Ian Davis in Canada. Ian, you're a man that wears many hats and a very impressive CV at that, if I can get through some of them here. Programming and Creative Coordinator for Sunfest World Music Festival. Your Artistic Director for the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club. You sing in a Canadian Celtic choir, which intrigued me. You're also a board member of the Goodrich Celtic Roots Festival. You sit on the programming committee for the Home County Music and Art Festival. You host the Jazz Junction radio show on CIXX FM 106.9. And I'm told you have spare time. And when you do have that spare time, you manage Toronto-based classical and jazz group Ensemble Vivant. Now, Ian... I've got to get to as much of that as I can during this conversation, but you also have very strong Irish roots. Will you trace a bit of it for me? Certainly. Be happy to do that. Um, on my mother's side, uh, the Scanlon family uh, lived in O'Brien's Bridge, County Clare. And uh, my great-grandfather, he uh, was part of a family there, uh, and he decided he... Uh, couldn't run the family business because his uh, brother took it over. And uh, so he had to f- pursue other interests. So he went to University of Limerick, studied, uh, took religious studies, and ended up emigrating to uh, Canada and settling uh, in Toronto area. And then he was uh, a priest preacher uh, looking after a number of parishes north of Toronto. And uh, and uh, my grandmother, Scanlon, married uh, Reginald Whittemore. Uh, she uh, was a, a teacher of children, a naturalist, taught at the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. My grandfather, uh, Reg Whittemore, was uh, a naturalist as well and started Canadian Nature magazine, which now has become a huge organization in Canada for environmental causes called Nature Canada. Uh, my my grandma passed away very young from complications from cancer, and so he started up the magazine in her memory. So that's that's my Irish roots there. And on my wife's side, she has some as well. She's a McIntyre. Right. Well, <laughs> you know what? As soon as you mentioned County Clare to me, you were on a winner. That's all I feel myself. So fair play, Ian. <laughs> now, just going to go back over these. Uh, I said you're a man that you're a man actually who wears many hats. I'm just curious as to know where that interest for you uh, in music and all things, and in fact, all genres of music, where did that come from? Well, I I suppose it it came from uh, my interest in music when I was quite young. Uh, As many, I suppose, of my age, we were certainly inspired by the Beatles uh, sort of to get us started. And... uh, then I discovered uh, some folk music through the, uh, I guess, the revivalists, like um, the groups that mixed rock and folk, like uh, Steel Eye Span and Fairport Convention and uh, Pentangle and groups like that. And from there, my interest in uh, folk music uh, uh, expanded into, you know, the, the real stuff, the real traditional stuff 
which I discovered in university at the original Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club. And, and uh, I always was interested in many facets of music. I took uh, piano lessons from age five and uh, did quite well at that and uh, studied oboe in high school and, uh, you know, dabbled in a few other instruments as I went along and discovered singing uh, with choirs a bit later in life. But uh, that's been wonderful as well. So, uh, yeah, I've just always enjoyed many genres of music. And but indeed, singing folk in music. choirs is a bit of a passion for you because you do sing uh, in the Canadian Celtic Choir. Who are they? Uh, the Celtic, Canadian Celtic Choir is uh, an SATB uh, mixed choir, so uh, it's about 50 voices, and uh, we are uh, based in London, Ontario, uh, but we have toured internationally, and uh, very sadly, we were supposed to be in Ireland this past July, but of course, uh, COVID put a stop to that. So uh, we are hoping we can come to Ireland at a later date for a tour. Uh, we do like to tour every three years approximately. We've toured in the Maritimes in Canada, and we've toured in England and Scotland. And our very first tour was quite exotic. We went to Maui, Hawaii. And the idea of coming to Ireland, of course, that would have taken a couple of years planning and unfortunately COVID did get in the way this year. What were your plans actually for Ireland? Well, we, uh, we had a number of concerts that we had planned at Waterford, uh, Killarney, uh, Galway and, and uh, Dublin and uh, many of our members had not been to Ireland previously so of course we were going to uh, include a lot of uh, the great sites of Ireland uh, along the way. Um, so yeah, it would have been a wonderful trip. And uh, of course we would have looked forward to making many Irish friends along the way. Well, the hope is that things will eventually get back to where they were and that that trip will come to happen for the Canadian Celtic Choir, Ian. But the Sunfest World Music Festival, would you just give us a brief description of that and your own involvement and who it's aimed at? Right. Well, uh, Sunfest uh, was actually started by a Guatemalan refugee, uh, Alfredo Cachac, who came to London, Ontario in the 80s. Uh, he was a political uh, uh, refugee. His... Uh, family was caught up in the revolution in Guatemala and in fact a couple of his uh, uh, siblings were uh, killed uh, by the uh, uh, military uh, that were uh, you know so he had to ex leave very quickly he, he was a musician and a teacher himself in, in Guatemala um, and he had the idea coming to a very I guess Anglo uh, centered city in uh, London, Ontario in the 80s that uh, since there was a, a, a greater interest in multiculturalism and more immigration happening uh, that he felt that there might be a place for a world music festival in uh, London, Ontario. So uh, the very first one started uh, very humbly in 1995 and uh, many uh, people didn't give it much of a chance but uh, he found a lot of community support and uh, built it uh, very slowly. And now it's recognized by 
Songlines magazine, which is one of the most influential world music magazines in uh, in the world, and uh, it now attracts uh, visits of uh, well over two hundred thousand people over four days. So it's uh, quite 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 amazing how it's built to five stages, usually forty groups. Uh, a tremendous uh, amount of vendors, uh, food, uh, like over, well over 200 vendors, uh, and uh, it's become a real uh, destination for people uh, in Ontario and in the northern uh, United States, and uh, we've been very pleased to have great corporate support as well, and great uh, media support. So. It's been a, a tremendous success, uh, built very slowly, but uh, it's been very gratifying to see how it has uh, every year seemed to get a little bigger, a little better, and a little bit more well-known, you know? And it seems to me to be a festival that's an important stepping stone for artists who want to actually get into the business in Canada because you have a huge uh, national and international reach. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There are some uh, groups that have come to Sunfest, uh, for, and be, that is their very first time in Canada, and uh, they have built uh, from there. Uh, we do try to partner with other festivals that happen around the time of Sunfest, uh, like the Montreal Jazz Festival and uh, Harbourfront in Toronto and uh, uh, there's other festivals that we've worked with uh, to partner to with artists like Mariposa and Winnipeg. Uh, so there, there are different festivals uh, and Nuit de Freak also in Montreal. Um, so there, we do try to uh, work out uh, uh, arrangements that will benefit the artists certainly and make their trip worthwhile. But uh, Sunfest exposure certainly is extremely valuable for any artist playing in Canada for the first time. Yeah, and of course, with that in mind, you were at Tradfest this year. You've been over a few times, and you come to Tradfest, of course, to enjoy the music and to see what's going on and maybe to visit some of the, the, the cousins or whatever. But you're also always on the lookout for what's new or what's happening, and you had plans after this year's visit to Tradfest. Yes, well, I certainly did, and uh, we were very uh, looking forward to having two groups, uh, Irish groups, join us this year, uh, Notify and Quig, and uh, we also were very interested in Nava, but they couldn't uh, make it this year. Of course, there's others that were uh, in consideration as well, but that was our start. We were going to have a, a yearly uh, partnership uh, with Tradfest uh, to uh, bring young artists uh, from Ireland uh, to our festival and uh, build a profile and, uh, and start a wonderful partnership. We were really looking forward to it. So we'll just take it that the partnership has been just delayed and that we will look forward to kind of picking up the pieces certainly next year for sure with you. Okay, you mentioned the bands that you were to bring over, but you had to change all your plans for this year's festival. So can you tell us what you did? I'm really curious as to know how you managed it and what the outcomes were for you, were they satisfactory? Well, we uh, did have two days uh, of a virtual festival and uh, we aired it on a Friday and a Saturday evening for four hours approximately. 
Um, and we were uh, with our international partners and our uh, local partners. We were able to have our uh, virtual festival aired in several different countries, uh, including Mexico. And uh, we also had it on uh, the local television website. Songlines, I believe, was sharing it as well. And uh, so we did get it out around the world. And I think we had a tremendous uh, response. I, I believe we were, you know, getting up to our, you know, 100,000 or, you know, at least uh, views uh, last time I checked. So we had a great great response to it. We were, uh, we hired about uh, 15 or so groups to participate. Uh, we did have representation from uh, across Canada and we did have uh, some groups from South America and from uh, uh, Europe. We had a, you know, Spanish group and we had uh, from Africa. For the small number of groups we were able to engage uh, we did have quite a great cultural uh, representation. And I believe the broadcasts are still available online. Do you want to tell me where exactly it's available? Well, if you go to the SunFest website, uh, sunfest.on.ca, uh, you will be able to uh, find the links there. Okay, that's, that's a good one, sunfest.on.ca. From your own point of view as festival organizers, would you have seen it as a success? Yes, well, of course, most of us that uh, had to go the virtual route, we were really not sure how well received that would be uh, and, and how you would get the word out. Uh, you know, you have to use the social media channel channels. But uh, don't know, you know, people love the festival experience where you're around a crowd of people, you're feeling the vibe from the stage, you're it's a great synergy. Uh, we did note that there were a number of viewing parties that were put together, uh, of course, with appropriate social distancing. But uh, it, it did exceed, I believe, expectations that we had for it. Uh, it was tremendously well received and very well viewed. And what were the challenges from your own point of view then of getting that online? Did you have to engage the groups to record in their own home place or had you a central location or how did you manage all of that? Uh, for SunFest, because the groups were from uh, many, many different places, uh, it had to be submitted in advance. And then we had uh, live hosts who then coordinated it all. And that's all available, as you say, on sunfest.on.ca. Yes. Uh, what was the audience reaction to it? Very positive. Uh, we really, uh, I, I think, uh, as I said, the reaction was, uh, I think, better than expected. Uh, I think we really very gratified that uh, it, it was embraced and celebrated. Uh, so, you know, so uh, widely, you know. I have to say also that uh, the Goderich uh, Celtic Roots Festival, which just had uh, their uh, virtual festival this uh, past uh, weekend, it, it was very, very well received as well. And we had, uh, I'm a board member of the Goderich Celtic Roots Festival, and we had a great Irish uh, representation on, the, on uh, the virtual festival, which was actually longer than 
the SunFest presentation. It worked out to be probably seven hours each day. And we had uh, groups like Cherish the Ladies, the Dabara Brothers, uh, Runa, One for the Foxes, North Atlantic Drift with Brian Tahani from uh, Sligo, and uh, Cormac Dabara, they were all part of it. Uh, it was very well received again. Didn't have the reach of SunFest, but uh, again is available online to see. And uh, it's a very easy e uh, address to look up. It's CelticFestival.ca. CelticFestival.ca. CA for Canada. Okay, of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm actually just noting it down here. Now, you'll have to excuse the cross-examination from me here, Ian. But, you know, Tradfest is coming up in January uh, in Temple Bar, so I'm just looking to know what maybe the pitfalls might be or the advantages, or can we learn from your experience? That's really why I'm asking all these questions. And tell us a little more about the Godrich Celtic Roots Festival. It seems to me like a very interesting and a very warm type of uh, engagement for artists. It is indeed, uh, because it's in a small community, some say it's the prettiest village in Ontario. It's right on the shores of Lake Huron, and the festival is held in a place called Lions Harbor Park. Uh, it is a, a gated by admission festival. Uh, it is relatively small and compared to Sunfest, but the thing that makes it so special is that because there are not of a huge number of uh, hotels or motels uh, in the area, all the artists pretty much are billeted in private homes. And this has been going on for many years. This would have been the 28th Goderich Celtic Roots Festival, but of course we call it 27.5 with the virtual <laughs> festival. Um, <laughs> but uh, what it becomes is a giant family for a week. Everyone is uh, so welcoming. The artists feel like they've come home. Um, we have a college that runs for four days before the festival begins. And uh, there's usually around 300 or so that register for the college to learn everything from Celtic art to, uh, to language, to uh, dance, to and, and instruments, ensembles and singing. And there's also a Celtic kids camp uh, that runs concurrently with the adult college. So uh, families can come and, and their kids will be occupied and the parents can have a wonderful uh, intimate learning experience with these world-class musicians who come each year. I know Sunfest is normally a free festival. Uh, I assume it was free this year. What about Goderich? Is that a free festival or was it free online? Uh, the Goddard Festival was free online, uh, however, there was a tip jar that was uh, where people were encouraged to uh, put money in to support the artists. And the idea of the tip jar was that uh, after the event, we would then uh, divvy up the tip jar monies in addition to the money that had already been allocated to, to pay for the artists uh, amongst those who participated. So I think it was a really nice idea. So you could do that, and you could also make a direct donation to the festival by uh, clicking on a different button. But uh, the tip jar idea was kind of a nice one. I mm. uh, I'm wondering, actually, if you ever get confused as to which festival you're actually working on, Ian. <laughs> no, thankfully, there's a little <laughs> bit of spacing between, and my responsibilities are different for each one. 
And you actually have specific responsibilities as well with the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club. You have an interesting uh, part to play in the history of that, actually, because my understanding was that that was around for a while. Uh, you were near where it was going on. Then you moved away, and after a while it closed down. You came back and you said, where is this uh, folk club gone? And you reconstituted it. So will you give us a brief history of the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club? Yes, of course. Um, well, when I was a student at uh, University of Western Ontario, I, at my first year was 1969, and uh, I, I carried on for four years at the university and got involved with uh, the university radio station. I was actually one of the first uh, uh, six who started it up on campus. Um, and in the, in the university paper, I saw an, an ad for the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club. And because I was interested in traditional music and uh, uh, very much enjoyed singing whenever I had the opportunity, I decided to check it out. And uh, it was very welcoming. Uh, they had uh, great singing there. And they had uh, touring artists that came in uh, at least once a month. It was an actual every Sunday uh, club. So that made it uh, a, a quite, a, quite a job for those who were organizing it. Um, and uh, so I moved away to take a job in another city in, in uh, 1981. I returned to London in 1993 that the club had uh, dissolved. And so I looked up a couple of the original members and uh, said, well, we have to get this going again. So I got them to agree to a couple of trial concerts and found enough volunteers uh, with the help of a couple of others who I knew were interested uh, to start it up again. And uh, the first three concerts were quite successful. We were very happy. So we decided to keep it going. And here we are. Uh, it was our 26th season this year at the new location that we picked for the club, which was Chaucer's Pub, which is a lovely sort of uh, traditional uh, setting, uh, you know, a rustic pub in the center of the city. And it's uh, been extremely successful, particularly the last uh, three or four years. We've had wonderful attendance and more concerts than ever before. I was presenting probably 15 to 20 concerts each season from September till May, for, which is a lot as a volunteer. <laughs> it certainly is. And who would you host? Would you host international touring groups or individuals, or is it uh, very much Canadian? Oh, it's a good mixture of things. We've had, uh, actually, I did a co-production with Sunfest several years ago. It was the very first co-production. Uh, we had Alton, uh, and we did it at a larger venue, of course. But uh, I, that's a more recent thing because of my involvement with Sunfest and the Cuckoo's Nest. Some of the concerts that lend itself better to the folk club environment that Sunfest has an interest in, we have uh, presented at the Cuckoo's Nest uh, as a co-presents with Sunfest, which is great. Uh, but going back on the list, uh, we've had the Piper Martin Nolan from uh, Dublin with Pierre Schreier, Canadian fiddler. We've had uh, Myra Nia Hasig and Chris Newman, uh, Dermot Byrne, again with Pierre Schreier and Adam Dovris. We have Stefan Hannigan, who, who is uh, definitely uh, uh, with Irish roots and had, uh, I think he played in a band called Chenet, I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, he married an English woman uh, and they 
moved to Canada and they have a group called Klein Hannigan. Um, and I've had Sean Tyrrell, I've had Nula Kennedy, Kieran Goss, uh, Kieran Halpin, and uh, North Atlantic Drift, which, uh, did I mention that one? That's With uh, Brian Tahani from Sligo. So that's, it's been great. We've, uh, we definitely enjoy presenting international uh, talent when it becomes available. You see, I didn't want to be too parochial and ask you what Irish acts you had. That's why I asked you about the international acts there, Ian. Well, <laughs> we've had a lot of English acts as well, um, and uh, Scottish acts as well, you know. Uh, so it's been wonderful, great variety of music. Uh, people really enjoy the intimate setting. Uh, we keep the concerts very affordable. It's like $20 admission. Uh, and uh, the artists do very well, and uh, as I say, the club has done very well the last few years. So. We have some rainy day funds in case uh, we need them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you came back, you came back with that in mind. I also see that you're a programming uh, on the programming committee for the Home County Music and Art Festival. What is that festival? That's a very a long-running festival. It's probably the oldest festival uh, in in uh, one of the oldest festivals in Canada. I won't say it's the oldest, but certainly it's probably the oldest in Ontario. Uh, it would have been the 48th year this year for the festival. So until this point, it's been primarily a Canadian festival with very uh, fine artisans that present their wares. Uh, it's a very comfortable uh, festival, very family oriented, not nearly as crowded as Sunfest. I'd say probably about a quarter of the attendance that Sunfest would have. Uh, but it's, it's a London, Ontario tradition. And uh, I expect it will go on for many years yet. Well, I did ask at the start what you did in your spare time, but I don't know how much <laughs> of that you have because you host the Jazz Junction on radio. So you have an interest in jazz music as well. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy jazz uh, uh, as another uh, type of music that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the jazz show, I, I tend more to the... Uh, the traditional uh, jazz as well, uh, not so much uh, the uh, avant-garde side of things, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good outlet. I mean, I'm an old radio guy. I I got my start in radio in 1971. I was in professional radio for 20 years, so just keeping my hand in it, uh, doing a, a jazz show, say uh, every other week or every you know, three times a month. Uh, is is uh, is a nice thing to be able to do. Finally, I just want to find out here about Ensemble Vivant. Yes, Ensemble Vivant, that's a quintet uh, led by a Toronto pianist named uh, Catherine Wilson. And uh, she has uh, tremendous uh, respect in the Canadian uh, classical music community and attracts some of the finest musicians to work with her. And uh, she actually did play uh, Carnegie Hall as a solo artist back in 2005 as a guest uh, performer with the New York Pops Orchestra. So she, she uh, has a tremendous uh, variety of styles uh, she, that she can play and play extremely well. She actually uh, is a ragtime specialist and taught at York University in Toronto and got her PhD there. Uh, and the PhD was actually focusing on children's uh, musical education 
and she started a charity to support music education in schools that do not have that available for young people. So it's like uh, schools in more disadvantaged areas. Uh, she really wanted to make music available, find music available, and has uh, been able to work with uh, Yamaha Canada actually to get some musical instruments donated to uh, aspiring young musicians. So besides the, the tremendous uh, music that they put out as a group with 14 albums now to the credit, uh, she's doing this wonderful work with children through the Uterpi charity. Well, I could see why you'd be interested in working with a band like that because of your own commitment to music of all genres. So with that, with all of those hats on then, you would have a pretty good overview of how COVID has affected the entire Canadian music industry. Uh, what's your verdict on that? Well, it's been devastating, really. I mean, uh, it's very hard for musicians to to make a living. They try to present their own virtual concerts. Uh, as a presenter, of course, you're, uh, you know, Sunfest presents uh, ticketed events outside of the festival season, concerts at uh, 300 to 370 seat venues, sometimes larger. Uh, so that's a way to put some money into the Sunfest coffers and also to uh, present uh, artists of excellent uh, pedigree. And we have on our schedule for next year, actually, uh, two Irish bands, Alton and Lunasa. Uh, but you know, we don't know if we'll be able to present those because of restrictions on indoor gatherings. Currently, we're only allowed uh, 50 people inside. Uh, and we don't know when that's going to change. Uh, for a venue like the Cuckoo's Nest, which uh, crams in 90, maybe 100 people, you can't cram in people and have them, you know, a couple of steps from the artist. That just doesn't work. So uh, the proprietor that, who I rent from uh, for that room, I said I cannot hold any concerts at least until the end of this year, but most likely I won't be able to run any concerts until September 2021. So, you know, it's it has been very difficult. I should say for the website for the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club, it's very easy as well. Folk.on.ca You mentioned Alton and Lunasa. Our plan is actually to have them at Tradfest in January. Uh, with all the social distancing and all of that that's involved, we're planning on that at the moment. Uh, can we expect to see you over because you're a bit of a world traveller yourself, seeking out good music? <laughs> well, for, first of all, I'll say I've loved the uh, hospitality of the past three years and uh, definitely want to come back. However, this January, I'm not so certain uh, about, you know, I'm now an older fo fellow. <laughs> I just turned 69. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure about traveling yet. Um, even though I'd love to, I might have to wait a year to come back to, to Dublin. Okay, well, you know? look, whenever you get here, we'd be delighted to see you because it's always a pleasure to meet you at Tradfest. I must say that much because your smiling, beaming face arrives <laughs> in City Hall, usually on the Wednesday or the Thursday we see you there. And we know that the festival can continue because Ian Davis has touched down from Canada. By the way, Ian, we've been asking people and guests on the podcast to know what music they've been listening to during the lockdown? Is there anything you turn to just for your comfort and relaxation and to kind of ease the negativity? Uh, sure, I can. Uh, there's a couple of things I can say. 
one that I have enjoyed uh, looking at older videos from artists like Christy Moore and Planksty and you know uh, just and Mary Black and and the old favorites you know so online looking at some of the the fare that's available via YouTube you know mm -hmm. um, I also have enjoyed immensely listening to Derry Farrell's uh, A Lifetime of Happiness I think that's a tremendous album we just before the lot of the shutdown uh, we had dervish in london as presented by sunfest uh we had him on march the 5th and so i have been enjoying the the great irish songbook and uh, f i've been a tremendous fan of the work of michael mcglynn and anuna and and of and he introduced me to his new project manum and i was so pleased to see Anuna and Manum at a concert at Calvin Grove in Glasgow after Tradfest when I went over to showcase Scotland and Celtic Connections. So definitely listening to the music of Manum and Anuna has been a, something that's been very comforting for me. Well, Ian Davies, we hope it won't be that long. Uh, 70 is the number over here when you get a little bit older. You're still only 69, so you're, not, you're welcome in Ireland uh, for Tradfest <laughs> in January. As I said, it's always a pleasure to see you there, and it's a pleasure to speak to you here on the podcast. Uh, thanks a million for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, Kieran, and I certainly look forward to seeing you and the rest of the gang whenever it's possible. Thanks, Ian. All right, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.